Hello, Iona. Hello, Ronnie. Hi, it's nice to see you. Good to see you too. Yeah, thanks a lot for making the time to come on Alliance Live uh, this afternoon. I am pleased to say that we've got well over 70 people uh, who are watching us uh, live, listening in, so there's no pressure here. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what we could do uh, uh, this afternoon. And to those who are listening, uh, welcome to you too. Uh, we will uh, be posting uh, this recording uh, on the Alliance website and in other places uh, probably next week so that those who uh, are interested in hearing about this but couldn't uh, uh, join us today uh, can catch up at a later date. So, uh, Iona, I think most folk in Scotland, uh, uh, particularly in the third sector, will know you as the Chief Social Work Advisor to the Scottish Government, but you've recently taken on a new role too. I wondered if you could tell us a bit about that and uh, why these changes have come about. Yeah, okay, so I am, um, for the last four weeks, it, I can't believe it's only four weeks, it feels like much longer, but I've been the Interim Director for Children and Families in the Scottish Government as well. And um, basically, um, my boss, Michael Chalmers, who you know well, um, was asked to move and become the director for shielding, which I think is, is something that will be of interest to a lot of uh, Alliance members and other colleagues watching. And across government, we've had to make big, um, very quick changes about how we organise the business. And some people might think we should have done that well before. So uh, I think there's lots of um, interesting things happen in, which are happening very fast to respond to the current situation and really try and organise around the, the issues as they arise. So Michael's doing Director of Shielding. I've taken over as the Interim Director of Children and Families, but I'm still the Chief Social Work Advisor because that's a ministerial appointment. But Bill Alexander has been appointed as the Deputy Chief Social Work Advisor. And Bill's role is particularly to work across children and families. But you know Bill, he's very able, very able to turn over huge amounts of work very fast. So it's a great help to me having Bill there. So that's the change in the role. Yeah, I, I think it'll be reassuring too that uh, uh, someone of Bill's calibre is still there with the senior practice experience uh, in a day-to-day -day basis while you're doing other things. So I, I think that people might be reassured with that. Well, it's been interesting because Bill and I both come from a very similar background. Bill much more in children and families, but we were both um, directors of social work and then directors of health and social care. And I think in this current situation, um, we've... Working with our colleagues uh, who are more career um, civil servants has actually been, it's, it's worked really well, the two of us having that background in practice and in uh, strategic and operations basis and working with the civil servants. So actually that's going really well and uh, it, it's, quite, it's quite interesting to see. And we're, we're working at tremendous pace. So I can, you know, I know you guys are, I know everybody out there is working so hard and so fast. Uh, but we are as well in government and, and I can't say enough about the staff who have really you know, pulled out all the stops to do as much as they can, as, as have all of you. So I know everybody's working really hard. Yeah, I think that's a good message to put across to the third sector, uh, actually, because uh, I know that many of my colleagues uh, are working at fast pace uh, and they're working with limited resources in a, a, a 
and in some cases in a completely new uh, type of situation. And uh, I was heartened uh, to see that that was acknowledged in the letter of the 8th of April uh, that you issued uh, yeah. to third sector colleagues. Uh, I wondered if you'd like to touch on that letter and give us a bit of background as to why you thought it was important to issue that letter at that time. Uh, and give us some of the highlights that are in the letter. Maybe not everyone who's listening has seen it. Um, I think if the current situation's taught us anything, it's taught us that, that we need to move much more quickly than we have been moving, but also that we need to do that work that we've all aspired to and that we've all been doing about multidisciplinary, multi-agency work, about working together really around the needs of the, the population in Scotland. And I think now is that, that is even more important than it was before. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I, I have seen really come to the fore the, the uh, contribution of the third sector in particular. And uh, the letter was really to say, if you've got ideas, if you've got, if there's things happening out there uh, that you're concerned about, tell us we need to know and we would want to work together then to see how we respond and how we change those things if you've got ideas about how we should do things then let's let's talk about that too and uh, you know i've been working for the last 12 18 months across the country talking to the people that plan children's services and um, we've been doing a, a good piece of work that's gone around the whole of scotland asking people about how you plan children's services, what are the most important things? Well, this is, this is really an important time to speed all of that up and actually sweep away some of the barriers that we've previously had and bring everybody's contribution into the discussion. And what I was asking for in that letter really was your contribution, the contribution of the third sector about telling us what's important, what's happening out there and uh, what you think some of the solutions are. So, and, and DFM, the Deputy First Minister, has, has been really, really impressed by that. We're about to publish a piece of work tomorrow, um, which uh, we did, Bill Alexander and, and colleagues in the Scottish Government worked together on um, with contribution from third sector colleagues to, to try and ascertain what was happening in the first couple of weeks uh, as, the, as we, we had lockdown. And it's a really good piece of work because it gives us lots of intelligence about what's going on there. And in that document, you will see right up in the middle of it, the contribution of the third sector. And DFM was, the Deputy First Minister was really impressed by that. So he asked a number of uh, third sector leaders to call in yesterday, the day before yesterday, I think it was Tuesday. Um, and so Sally-Ann and uh, Louise from Young Scott and um, Mary Glasgow and um, Jackie Brock were, were in a, a discussion with the Deputy First Minister and Ms. Um, Todd, the Minister for Children, talking about what's it like out there, what's happening, he wanted to know directly, and then what do you think we should do and how do we work together? And they made some really great points about the current system doesn't always nurture holistic care. It doesn't always, all those things we've talked about for a long time about actually we need to be much more holistic in our approach. We need to think about relationships and we need to work across the sector. 
So it's not the statutory sector doing one thing and the third sector doing another thing and health doing another thing that is really important. And the other message that they made very clear to him, which he's taken to heart, is that it's really important that we understand that everybody's been traumatised by this experience, but particularly for children and young people, it is, it is a really difficult situation. And that we shouldn't medicalise that in any way, but we should, we should accept it and we should develop new ways of working together that actually address that and begin to work with that. And the third sector, I think, are really well placed to do a lot of that work. And that's why we sent the letter. But it's not the only thing we want to do. It's not just about a letter. It's not just about a conversation with Deputy First Minister, although he has said he wants to stay in touch with it and he wants further conversations. It's also about, as we move forward and begin to assess what's happening, how does the third sector be absolutely part of that assessment and that discussion and how together do we redesign the way that things happen? Mm -hmm. How do you uh, see the discussion around that redesign going forward? We have um, been working with SOLAS and COSLA and Police Scotland and the Health Service to uh, really um, quickly bring together a group that um, will um, look at data from across Scotland. So this is something we've been talking about for a long time. But we've agreed with Solas and, and COSLA that there will be a, a weekly data return to the Scottish Government now, which looks at children on the register, looks at children being taken into care, looks at things like, um, it looks at food issues, looks at some of the poverty issues. Um, and there's also another bit that looks at um, adults who are at risk as well. So the whole, the whole thing, it's based around the work of chief officer groups and local authorities. You'll know all about that. Is the, the group that is the chief executive of the council, the chief executive of the health board and the, the local divisional commander of police and lots of other um, senior officers and, uh, and sometimes as well the third sector involved in that, not as often as they should be in my view, but anyway. How does that uh, issue, how, how's that put right? Well, then, if they're not I, there as often. Yeah, I think it's one of the things we've been working on. So when we did the earlier tour of Scotland, we were yeah. very clear about the role of the third sector and that they should be there at the table. I would say in probably two thirds of places, they were there at the table and they were clearly involved. In a third of places, they weren't there. So that's something that we've picked up and, and in the, the guidance that we revised and issued about strategic planning around children's services, we were very clear that the third sector are equal partners and need to be at that table. And in the leadership group that we're about to establish, and there is absolutely a place for the third sector as part of that leadership group. But behind that, mm -hmm. we would have to set up a communication and a link with you guys across the third sector so that we are gathering in the intelligence and also gathering in your views. Yeah. In, the, in the data report I was talking about earlier that will go to Deputy First Minister um, every week, um, we are also asking third sector organisations to give us data. So there'll be data from an, an, a third sector perspective as well, particularly important at the, this, point, this point in time, things like parent line and child line, but not just that, that we'll, we'll come into this so it'll give us a rounded picture. It's not just what we're hearing about the statutory side, it's also about all the work that's been done in the third sector as well.
Yeah, I think that's really encouraging, uh, uh, and it really uh, it goes in the grain uh, uh, with uh, what you set out in the first page uh, of the uh, the letter that you sent out. Uh, I wondered if you could say a wee bit about what your vision is about the coordinated messaging, uh, so that third sector uh, uh, colleagues, partners, uh, 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 can hear the right messages at the right time. Uh, because I know there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of noise out there, and sometimes people are confused about well, what is it that's uh, uh, most important at this point in the government's mind? Uh, uh, how best should we be collaborating? Uh, uh, both with local government and with health uh, uh, and with central government. How do we put that right? Yeah, yeah well, I think, I think so we've we just, it was just this morning we really had the, the go ahead, but I think that we would want, we, we absolutely need somebody from the third sector involved in the small leadership group. Yeah. And all the people are small, it's just a small group. Anyway, and... But I think behind that, my challenge back to you guys, and mm -hmm. particularly in the Alliance, is how do we do this? Right? How do we bring everybody together and get that represented, you know, make sure that we're all working together. I know, for example, Bill Alexander's got a call that he makes every week with third sector partners. We've got a team who um, are, are there in the government to work with third sector partners. So using yeah. that, how do we bring everybody together and filter through all those ideas that you have, as well as the really important intelligence that you have. And then um, we need you not just to do that, but to help develop the future. And so I, I'm looking next week really to sit down and say, right, how are we going to do it? And, and I need, we need you to help with that um, and CCPS and children yep. in Scotland and everybody basically to to come together and and see how we uh, we do this in scotland alongside that and um, we'll be looking to establish um a children's and young people's uh, representative bodies so there's lots of representative bodies how do we bring them together mm -hmm. and how do we make absolutely heart of this is the views of children and young people in scotland and um, because and that's really important not just for the next few weeks for the next 12 months um, and for the next 18 months but it's for the future because it's their future it's yeah. their country it's their future so i think those two bits really need to come in and fit jigsaw and then we can hopefully get the messaging um, lined up and out across the sector in an organized way yeah. um, but getting messages out we need intelligence in and we need ideas about how do we do this differently in Scotland in the future. Yeah, of course, we're not st starting from a, a you know from a standing start. Uh, uh, we've already begun uh, to talk with government, uh, uh, you know, and the alliances involved, uh, along with other partners, yeah. uh, as you've just uh, as you've just said, and we're really keen. Uh, to keep this dialogue and this uh, uh, assistance going. Uh, if you like to co-produce the solution is, uh, I think, key, uh, especially with children and young people and families uh, uh, too. Uh, so we look forward to uh, uh, continuing with that kind of contact. Uh, I think it's it, it's really good that you've set out in the letter that uh, I, the Strategic Forum, which is facilitated by Children in Scotland, is one of the mechanisms, uh, uh, also the web uh, uh, site that's uh, yeah. uh, uh, there uh, uh, facilitated by SCVO. 
Uh, so there's no one way, I suppose, of cracking this nut. There's lots of different ways that we can do it. And I think your challenge that you threw out to the third sector is a good one. And uh, I look forward to uh, working with other colleagues uh, to help respond to that challenge. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I wasn't meaning, I mean, we do have good communication. We do have good forums. We do have really um, strong relationships. It's just we, we need to focus just now, I think. Yeah. And I know colleagues are focused. It was a really good discussion the other day with the Deputy First Minister as well. If, if we could move on uh, uh, through, through another part of your letter, I... Uh, you know, you're setting out the support for the third sector that the Scottish Government is organising and offering at this stage, uh, including uh, uh, new types of funding, uh, including uh, uh, relaxation uh, in some regards in respect of reporting uh, to do with funding that third sector organisations already have. Uh, I wonder if you want to touch on any of these points in your letter. Um, I think we've set out around the, the, the money that's available through the wellbeing fund, which is £50 million. And yeah. um, that's for people with, the, with additional barriers. Now, I think that's closed at the moment because of the demand, but it will reopen on the 7th of May. And so organisations can apply there where they, they are looking for money for people uh, to help them cope with the current situation. As you said, SCVO have got a really helpful um, hub and have got a really helpful web page as well with lots of information on it about money. And then there's the Resilience Fund, which is uh, £20 million, which is for organisations where they're experiencing difficulties in relation to cash flow. Um, but over and above that, if we already fund you from Scottish Government, then uh, talk to us basically tell us if there are difficulties and tell us what the difficulties are. And if, you know, we, we have been agreeing with lots of organisations to reprioritise what they do, and um, that if you've got a business plan, we're not going to hold you to that business plan if actually we agree a reprioritisation because you're helping respond to the current situation. So the key thing really is to talk to us, to talk to um, the third sector team, um, that's Elspeth uh, Hoff and Laura Holton um, who run that. I think it's Claire who's the, the main point of contact. Talk to them and or talk to your usual contact within Scottish Government and yeah. we will do what we can. If you're yeah. not funded by Scottish Government and you're funded locally and there are difficulties, then let us know that too. We are keen to hear from people and from organisations about difficulties that are being experienced. Yeah, if I could just reflect on some of the uh, uh, some of the the stories, uh, if you like, that I've heard from colleagues in the third sector, uh, just to try and examine this a bit more closely, uh, I think that people felt that the resilience fund uh, is a fund which is aimed at supporting organisations where they have a cash flow problem. Yeah. Yep. And that seems to be quite clear uh, uh, what, that's, uh, uh, what that's for. I think that a number of organisations had some difficulties when it wasn't cash flow that was the difficulty, but it was aspects of their service that they may not have planned or budgeted for. Yeah. And it was to try and free up and to try and you know, have some flexibility in 
movement. Uh, uh, so, for example, uh, residential school, uh, day school as well, but also having residential facilities for children with profound uh, uh, disabilities, uh, uh, multi multiple needs. Uh, to keep those children's education and care going, the kind of activities, the kind of resources that are available in the school actually have to become available in the people's home, in the family yeah. home. And so some organisations were finding it difficult to navigate what kind of fund uh, to apply for for that, if they needed funding uh, uh, for it. Uh, another organisation, Young Carers Organisation, which uh, I, I know well, uh, uh, found that they didn't have all of the equipment that, that they needed yeah. uh, to equip their staff uh, to homework effectively so that they could maintain contact and maintain the support of young people uh, uh, that, that, that they were supporting. So what, what their hope is, is that the welfare fund can be seen as something which is really flexible and which is really responsive uh, to uh, uh, new ways of delivering a service uh, uh, that had already been agreed and that, that agreement to use that kind of fund and other existing funding uh, uh, could be, that agreement to do that could be struck really quite easily. That's yeah. people's hope. Well, that's what I would hope as well. So um, if people are struggling with access in the wellbeing fund or any of the other funds, um, please mm -hmm. let us know. Um, and as I said before, if you, if you are getting money from us and you want to use it in a different way, just talk to us. Yeah. You know, just talk to us. Because we, we, we need you to do what you're doing. We need you to be flexible. We need you to support the people that you support, day in, day out, in this current situation. And it's, you know, so talk to us. We, we, we are trying to do everything that we can to, to be as flexible as we can. There are other funds around as well in the community side of things that, um, yeah. so that colleagues will know more about and maybe be able to plug folk into as well. Um, and then there's also the work that's going on about digital exclusion, the Cat Macaulay work about no one left behind. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've agreed um, a pilot around that, around, um, children and young people who are, are currently digitally excluded, um, which is working with Aberlour and Children First. But that's just the start, you know, so there's, there's quite a lot of money in that fund as well. And we're looking for in, innovative ways to uh, make sure that that is reaching out and getting to the children and young people that it really needs to get to. So talk to us. Yeah, and so if people were wanting to access information about funds and about any new funds uh, that are coming on stream. Yeah. Would the place for them to go uh, uh, to access that information, would it be the SCVO uh, uh, hub? Sorry, I'm writing it down as something yeah. to pick up, Ronnie. Um, so yes, in the first place, look at the SCVO hub. If you yeah. don't get the answer that you want there, then come to us and speak to us about it. And what I'll do is I'll ask uh, the team to pull together a fact sheet on the, the funding side of things that we can try, we'll, we'll circulate. Yeah. Get and when you see... I think have, have tried to do that. Yes. Yeah. they have. Yeah. Uh -huh. When you say come to us, is there a generic email address, uh, you know, that, that people should use? You know, uh, would it be... Children and families at you, Scott Gov. 
Yeah, if you send it to director of children and families, that's at gov. Uh, yeah. Other people can work that out, I'm sure. But the director, so send send the emails to director of children and families at Scott. Yeah. yeah. And I'll make sure they get to the right place. Thank you. Uh, I just watch for your email box. <laughs> Been inundated, I suppose. <laughs> I hope you don't like to regret that one. But I wonder if we can move on uh, to uh, uh, some other. Uh, questions that colleagues from the uh, third sector uh, have uh, uh, put uh, 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 to me. Uh, these are questions that have come in from Alliance members and from uh, Alliance associates and from third sector organisations who are not members of uh, uh, the Alliance but who nevertheless uh, uh, we work closely with and they work closely uh, with, uh, with us. Uh, there's a specific question uh, in relation to furloughing of staff uh, yeah. at this time. And it seems that uh, some third sector organisations are finding it difficult to navigate this both as a, an HR question, but also as a, a funding question and issue. So for example, if uh, organisations already in receipt of uh, a grant from the Scottish government or funding of some sort from the Scottish government to pay for, uh, staff. Uh, I, some are confused as to whether or not uh, they are eligible for uh, uh, furloughing at that particular point in time. Uh, is there anywhere that third sector colleagues, if they, are, if they do have concerns about this, is there anywhere where they can go to get up-to-date and accurate information that may help them? Um, again, I think SCVO website has good information on this as well. Yeah. Um, my I mean, obviously, it's a UK government um, scheme, um, and obviously, it should cover up to 2,500, 80% up to 2,500. I guess um, the issue for organisations that are funded by us is, do you need to do that? Because if, we're if we are paying for your staff, then you need to furlough them, and you should use your staff in whatever way you need to use them. And again, it's back to that, have that conversation um, with us. Um, because if we're paying for your staff, then, then we're paying for your staff. So we don't expect you to, to have to apply for furlough, basically. And furlough is for, for organisations where uh, they have not, they don't receive the full amount of funding for their, their staff. Yeah. And if there are difficulties accessing that, then, um, I'm sure that there is a bit on the Scottish Government website, so we can circulate that as well. I'll link that too. Okay, thank you. But I think the clear message here is that if you're funded by the Scottish Government, uh, then the Scottish Government expects that you're providing the service, and you can't do that without the staff, so why would you furlough them? Yes. Yep. Uh, I, but if you've got questions about this, uh, come and speak. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you uh, uh, for that. Uh, some some uh, uh, of the uh, third sector colleagues have been a bit concerned about how long, uh, I suppose, and uh, how sustainable uh, the the support that they are providing to children and families will be through this uh, uh, process. Uh, I wonder if you've got any 
you know, any kind of thoughts or response to that that kind of that kind of question, that kind of worry. Um, I think I'd need to understand. I need to understand it a bit better. Uh-huh. Um, so, from what I've seen, is the third sector are better. Are, are great at being really flexible and adapting what they're doing. So if there's a reason that you can't adapt what you're doing, then again, it would be good to know what that reason was and whether we can help to uh, to, to change that. Um, obviously, there are issues with the schools being closed and the education hubs um, uh, operating now. And obviously, a lot of people have um, their kids at home as well and they have other caring responsibilities. So that's, that, that's yeah. something. Um, needs to be taken into account. But I think as we move forward in the current situation, we really need to find more flexible responses. Uh, We we need you guys to help us find those flexible responses. So if there's a particular reason why uh, the work that you're doing is being hampered and that you can't, there's not a way to work around it, then please talk to us um, because there's more than enough work to go round and it might mm-hmm. be about reprioritization and working together in different areas that we're maybe not working together in just now. Um, yep. Thinking particularly, you know, the many areas, they've all, all opened a form of humanitarian assistance hubs, for example. Mm-hmm. Now it seems to me that the third sector are ideally placed to help in a lot of those hubs in terms of, um, you know, picking up some of the and more flexible support and there are lots of ways in which I think the third sector could help and I would hope that they are part of the response. Yeah. Yes, I, my own view of this is that, that, that you're right, there has to be flexibility here and that if people are, uh, or organisations are concerned about uh, uh, how they themselves can sustain what they're doing at this point, then they shouldn't keep it to themselves. No. They should talk uh, uh, to you. And uh, uh, no doubt, when the leadership group is established that you're talking about, no doubt that part of the work of that group will be to look at sustainability uh, 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 issues, among other things. But uh, uh, the, the, the balancing factor of this is the information that's coming in thick and fast about how resilient and about how flexible uh, and supportive third sector organisations actually are. Yeah. Uh, we see this day and daily. Uh, and uh, uh, the Alliance Initiative Communities of Scotland, for example, is showcasing, highlighting uh, a number of these third sector organisations uh, uh, and the way in which they're working. Uh, indeed, Martin Crew uh, from Bernardo's was uh, first up, if you like, uh, uh, to set out how Bernardas is responding uh, uh, at this time. Uh, but it's not just the big national organisations who seem to be responding really well in this way. It's actually really small, uh, locally based organisations who are, uh, you know, taking the step beyond what they were doing previously and uh, uh, responding uh, uh, just heroically heroically to the challenge. Uh, I think it's fascinating to see uh, how people are responding in this way. Yeah, well I've seen so many uh, examples of things, uh, people working together with the third sector, working with the statutory agencies, working with the police, working with health, um, and and, uh, obviously organisations like the Red Cross coordinating the volunteer programme. I mean it's just, it's been phenomenal really in terms of the response uh, that we've seen across the sector. Um, so I'd, 
if if there are issues we want to know and i do think it's um it, it is how we work out the flexible ways that we can continue to support the people we need to support yeah. and that is really important it's about how we we use the resource and we don't want to be rigid in this period and particularly when we're seeing so many really brilliant examples of things happening out there. Yeah. Uh, some uh, uh, third sector colleagues have been in touch uh, to say that they're a bit concerned that there seems to be in some areas uh, low uptake of services designed to support vulnerable families. So for example fewer children perhaps resorting to the school hubs yeah. uh, than might have been anticipated. Uh, what's your view about why that might be the case, if it is the case? And, you, you know, uh, are there other ways of thinking about how we might provide uh, uh, services, say, for example, on a universal basis uh, in areas of deprivation rather than uh, 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 singling out particular families or children? Yeah, that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. So yes, it's, it, we are really concerned and that's that's one of the concerns that's, that's led to the, the work we've been doing together with local government and, and uh, police and health um, and with the third sector as well, because we're really concerned. I don't think it's surprising that people aren't sending their children to the education hubs um, I think the stay-at-home message is really, really strong and I think people want to keep their families safe so they want them to stay at home. And so the numbers have been low. Um, I think you're also right that it's not necessarily the right approach for every family. And um, I do think there are issues around um, families with children with disability and, and children with additional support needs that we, mm. we need to to pick up pretty quickly as well um, but I don't think it is necessarily the right approach so we local areas and partnerships have been developed in different ways to do precisely what you, you you're talking about to be able to deliver services on a more universal basis across areas so Edinburgh for example have formed a partnership between the city of Edinburgh council and the third sector and the health service and they are all working together to, to, to deliver um, food and money and cash across uh, various parts of Edinburgh where it's needed. And we've seen quite a lot of partnerships like that, whereas people, the third sector, the statutory sector, coming together to do that. And I think that's what we need because each area is going to be different. It's going to be a different challenge in the islands and the islands than it is yeah. in Glasgow and Edinburgh um, or sunny Ayrshire. Of course, I have to say hello to Ayrshire. Um, so it's going to be different. And you can see lots of different local solutions being knitted together. So I, I think that's absolutely what we need to do. What we would want to make sure is that the third sector are being engaged in those local solutions and that we're supporting those local solutions as they develop. One of the things we're very aware of is um, social workers are out, should be out there um, seeing children who we know about and um, making contact with children and health visitors are still doing visits as well and obviously you know the schools although they're not um, functioning as schools that the education hubs um, are all a lot of time they are actually making contact with kids that they're concerned about as well so all of that GERFET work is still going on but it has obviously been 
hampered by the lockdown. It's it's changed in its nature, um, mm -hmm. but we couldn't we sh we shouldn't forget that we've had GERFIT for a long time. Something I know that's dear to your heart, Ronnie, and that it, that still applies in terms of how we work with families. But I think it's about developing new ways to provide that support that's not stigmatised and um, that mm. will support those families that we don't know about yet because um, I was looking at was it one of the disability children's disability organisations published a report which showed that something like two-fifths of families lost their income overnight that uh, food mm -hmm. uh, uh, money is, is the top of their concern list and along with the pressures and, and the stress of the current situation um, for everybody um, and, and the, the, the pressures and concerns of looking after uh, children and young people who've got, got uh, disabilities or uh, when yeah. they're missing their pals and all the rest of it. So it's really difficult situation that families are struggling with and it's really important that we try and get the right level of support to them. And I think your idea of that universal approach is absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think that you've raised a whole raft of practice questions uh, around how uh, all of the services working together uh, can support children and families when they need it. Uh, and I want to uh, drill down into some of these uh, uh, questions, uh, not least because folk have asked me to do that. <laughs> uh, so I better, I better hold true to all of the people who have written in with uh, questions for you. Uh, so I'll do my best to do that in a kind of logical order, uh, but but let me just let me just go back to this uh, 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 the notion about fewer uh, uh, a lower uptake uh, of particular services. We do know that for some children, actually uh, uh, getting to school or getting to a resource centre of some sort uh, is a good thing because there's lots of equipment, uh, uh, there's expertise in hand, uh, and so on there. But some of these services that would uh, uh, provide that kind of intensive support, say to children with complex needs, uh, are reporting uh, that they're finding uh, that staffing levels uh, can be low. Uh, and there's some concern about the, the, the balance of the messaging. Uh, so for example, stay at home, uh, support with NHS, very clear message. Uh, as you've touched on in relation to some families have taken that to heart. Uh, but it would seem that some staff may have as well, uh, where they're taking that to heart and they're not perhaps making themselves uh, uh, as available as they might. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, I mean, I know that this is a very delicate question, uh, but uh, some uh, have asked me to pose, do we think that we've got the messaging right in relation to this, particularly regarding the actual risk uh, that may be presented to staff uh, who could see themselves rightly, uh, I, you know, as frontline staff. Uh, my own daughter, one of my own daughters being one of them, <laughs> who yes. is going into uh, uh, work with uh, uh, children with uh, uh, exceptional care needs in school, in a home school. Yeah. So I think, I think there's probably, um, the first couple of weeks we saw very high levels of absence in some areas and the, the care inspectorate have been working across services, particularly across registered services to try and monitor absence. Mm. Um, and another thing we've done is we've, um, we've um, 
established a recruitment hub. Sorry, somebody's at my front door. <laughs> you know, I've, I've unlocked the, I've unplugged the uh, uh, the bell from this room <laughs> and put it in another room. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, so we've established an um, we've established an employment and recruitment hub as well. So yeah. and that's about where we are short of staff getting getting mm. um, suitably qualified and experienced staff to the area they need to get to. Yeah. Um, and the care inspectorate working to look at areas. So for example, secure had some secure establishments had quite high levels of absence. You might expect that, of course. And um, so we think with the right um, precautions and following um, the guidance that mm. has been put out by the chief nursing officer that um, we should and take the right precautions, we should still be going to work. Um, where we can and where you need to go into a, a situation where you're not clear and we pr we published as well some child protection visiting guidance for example that was very clear about this you need to take the right precautions but we need to be able to respond to children and young people and work with them and we need to find a way to do that that doesn't put staff at too much risk mm -hmm. uh, and that's really important because uh, care staff are absolutely in the front line here in terms of um, people depend on them um, for their care, for their lives, and, and that's right across the children's sector, across the, the elderly sector as well, the older people's sector as well. So I think it's about taking the right precautions and then, um, you know, and making sure that those are in place. And yeah. I'll be very surprised if you don't ask me about PPE because everybody asks about PPE um, and uh, uh, making sure that we've got the right the right stuff in place for staff to use and then uh, yeah. they use that um, within the place that they work um, yeah. is really important as well um, and that's difficult when you're dealing with kids and you it know, it's really difficult and particularly when you deal with kids who've experienced some levels of trauma and all the rest of it. So, yeah. yeah some children with long-term conditions, for example, how uh, I, I, there's a child in the, you know, in the autistic spectrum, how do they respond to someone who all of a sudden turns out wearing a mask? Uh, these are not easy questions, uh, uh, very sensitive questions, and I suppose they have to be dealt with uh, uh, sensitively and knowing, knowing the children. Uh, but you did you did mention PPE, and I do need to mention <laughs> I do need to mention that because it was asked. So there's a there's a couple of things on this. One, the first the, the, the first thing is around uh, I, I self directed support and young people who are in receipt or parents who are in receipt of self directed support. Uh, where they've got, uh, uh, where they've opted for option one, you know, the option where they uh, receive the they receive the allowance, the money, and they employ people and so on. They're not contingent to or linked with, you know, any organisations that might support yeah. these workers. They are the employers of these workers. Uh, I suppose they may or may not have some duties of care in respect of those workers. But what they're telling us is that they find it difficult to get personalised advice for them about how their support staff uh, uh, should use uh, uh, PPE. And so it's about advice, and they're also finding it uh, difficult to get their hands on uh, uh, any appropriate PPE. Uh, so that's the first point, it's about individuals uh, uh, 
children and young people uh, who, who are supported through self-directed support. Yeah, okay, so, um, well, PPE takes up enormous amounts of time in government, we talk about it a lot. Um, there is a new director for PPE, Paul Kakete, and um, Jamie McDougall's just moved to, to work there as well. So um, I suppose it's been, um, the, the first, I think the first couple of weeks was really focused very much on NHS. And there was, I accepted that there was a bit of um, neglect of the care sector in, in all of that. And I think now that has been rectified and I think that that message has come through very clearly from Cabinet Secretary, from the First Minister and the Deputy First Minister down, basically that um, this is about health and social care and how they access and that includes uh, carers and that includes people who are employed as personal assistants as well. Um, I know there are still glitches out there, I know that, that people are going to the PPE hub and then not getting the equipment that they need. Um, in lots of places it's working really well and in some places it's just not. So um, we spend a lot of time on that. There's now been a team established to look at that and um, what all I can say is if that is the case, can you let us know? I will um, raise this directly with the self-directed support team so that we're quite clear. But I know they've been working on it. Carla Plasberg-Hill's been working on it directly in yeah. terms of PP supply to carers um, and to um, personal carers, as, uh, to personal assistants as well. Yeah. Um, so if it is still a problem in your area, because you should be able to access the local um, authority PPE hub, then please let us know and we will do what we can to shift it. Okay, so... The clear message there is, uh, whether it's self-directed support or whether it's in relation to a third sector organisation providing uh, services where PPE may be required, there is a local authority hub that you should be able to contact and you should be able to find that through the local authorities website. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm any difficulties, back, yeah. to, back to your own offices to... Uh, yeah. uh, report that or or indeed to report yes success has happened it's a, a difference has been made we've now got the information we need and the resources that we need to mm, okay <laughs> oh, good to hear some good news stories i suppose i know i know but it's, i know it's an issue that many people are struggling with just yeah. now um, and the cno's guidance um, really is it should apply right across uh, uh, most of our situations and we have developed some guidance for very specific contexts. So we've just developed guidance for residential childcare and secure care, for example, for staff there, which might be helpful. And um, is it published? It should be published. I think it's on the Social Work Scotland website, that one. Um, yeah. We are hoping to put a list together of all the guidance and we can circulate that and that would let people then be able to just follow the links and get to the right piece of guidance. That would, that, that would be great. Again, I think that there's some confusion about where to go about all of that. And if there were one or two places where people could go, that, that would be smashing if they had a, that kind of list, yeah, whether it's the SCVO hub or where, wherever. It probably is in the SEO, CVO hub, but it's certainly on the Social Work Scotland website as well, because we've developed right. a lot of this guidance with Social Work Scotland as well. But we will endeavour to put out a one pager that has links to all the different pieces of guidance. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, can I move back to some of the more detailed practice uh, uh, questions? You know, uh, and I, I think you've said earlier that social workers are still visiting, and so are health visitors. Uh, still should be visiting uh, uh, where, uh, uh, you know, where, where that's sensible to do, where it's required to do. Uh, but we've had some third sector interfaces reporting that uh, uh, their concerns that vulnerable children uh, are not being visited by social workers. Uh, they think that some social workers have stopped doing that. Uh, so can you clarify what arrangements have been made uh, uh, to continue to support and safeguard children, for example, who are on the Child Protection Register? So um, we did, we published some child protection um, guidance for the current situation, but the, that guidance says clearly that children need to be seen. Now, I think quite a lot of teams have set up digital arrangements with kids as well. Um, yeah. So they are making contact with kids, uh, with children and young people that way. And um, where there is any concern, um, they should be out visiting. And, uh, and it is my understanding that most of them are doing that. But if anybody has any concerns about a child where they think that they're not being visited and they should be visited, then they should let the Chief Social Work Officer for that area know. They'll find their name on the web page for the local authority. Yeah. And if you don't get that sorted out, then let us know as well. Yeah. But I encourage you to go to the Chief Social Work Officer for that area and ask them um, to, to pick it up. Um, it's really important that we do that. Now, um, there's okay. been, I know there's different, if, uh, and there are still child protection investigations going on. There are mm -hmm. still children being taken into care, but there has been a significant drop in the numbers. Um, mm -hmm. And we expect um, that is a direct impact of lockdown. We expect that those numbers will unfortunately climb um, when we come out of lockdown. And what we're seeing in London, for example, which is a couple of weeks, a week or so ahead of us, is that's beginning to happen. And that's part of the reason that we wanted to get the data collection up and running and we wanted the leadership group to meet because it's really important that we get on the front foot in relation to some of this and start to think of different ways of doing this work. But children eh, who are subject to child protection measures should still be in contact with their social workers one way or another. Yeah, and many of these children are supported by third sector organisations uh, as well as uh, uh, by social workers. So uh, I've read the guidance that uh, was issued and it seems pretty clear to me that what you're expecting is that uh, uh, coordinated, joined up children's plans should still be uh, uh, in use uh, and that uh, local authority social workers should be working hand in glove with their partners in the third sector uh, and in the independent sector too, independent schools for example, with child minders who are independent uh, uh, workers. Uh, I, that seems to me to be quite clear. Uh, what you're talking about I think is that you're looking for evidence that that's actually happening uh, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis where it should. We, we're looking for evidence of what, what trends there are and what mm -hmm. the issues are in terms of because social workers alongside everybody else are really important in terms of feeding back into this picture. Yeah. And um, they do a really, as you know, um, a really difficult job too. And they're doing it and they're doing, they're working really hard to do it in this situation as well. So um, yeah. I think it's really important that we understand what the challenges are, 
but also that we can begin to think of different ways around those challenges and that we find different ways to work. Um, but in the end of the day, um, it's really important that we see children. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great message to end that particular part of the question with. I've got one more question that I, I'd like to ask uh, uh, before uh, we wrap up because we're almost at the end of our hour. Uh, this question relates to uh, uh, transitions uh, and to transitions of uh, uh, children and young people uh, who are becoming young ad adults. Uh, We've had uh, uh, some messages from colleagues who have spoken directly to young people involved who are a bit confused uh, about what's happening in respect of uh, uh, moving from, say, funding from children's services into the adult care field, uh, about leaving school uh, and having aspirations to go to further or higher education. Uh, and they're a bit in the dark at the moment because uh, I some of them have not had the, the, uh, the discussions, uh, if you like, uh, with local authority and other partners uh, that would help them make that smooth transition. Uh, what, what's the Scottish Government's expectation around those kind of transitions at this point? Well, I, I think that we wouldn't want to be, see children and young people being moved from where they currently are in this current situation and, and that we need to we need to hold on to that just now and yeah. as we begin to um, it's, I suppose it's the first few weeks has really been about responding to a completely different and new, new situation which none of us have experienced before. I think it's really important though that we don't lose sight of all the children and young people who are in, this, in, in our care and it's really important that they don't get moved on until we've actually sat down and worked out what happens next. Now, my colleagues in learning um, have a, a new group which has been chaired by the Deputy First Minister, which is beginning to meet tomorrow. And that's going to look at um, the needs of children and in relation to school. And that will include children with additional support needs, children and young people with additional support needs as well. Um, because we know there are a lot of issues out there uh, in terms of support for, for those children and young people, but also for the transitions. And um, we're just establishing a team within my uh, side of the business as well to look at trans specifically at transitions. Um, so if there are issues there, let us know. Um, but that's my expectation. But we haven't had yet had a, that conversation. The thing about it is we need to have these conversations, particularly with the chief social work officers, but also with others, with yeah. colleagues and with others to, to think about how do we resolve some of these issues? Um, and I can well imagine that it's very unsettling not to know what your future looks like uh, at the moment. Now, I think that, that that's overlaid then, but all this anxiety that we all have about the virus, about the current situation and the future. So yeah. I would hope that children and young people are not being bounced into things that they've not been consulted about and that we don't have plan and that at the moment we hold on to that until we, we, we get to a bit of stability. Because I don't think, um, I don't think normality will, I don't think we're going back to the way that things were before, I suppose it's one of the things that I would observe that yeah. we, we, the First Minister has, has today, you know, published a paper about, you know, how, we, how she and the government intend to 
assess uh, the situation as we go forward and think about uh, coming out of the current crisis. And it's clear from that that this isn't something that's going to be over in two weeks' time when this period of lockdown you know, finishes. Um, but it is something that we will probably come out of in a gradual transition. Um, and that all the time being informed by the science and by you know, making sure that there's not another spike in COVID-19 because that would be uh, not good for any of us. So I think it's about then how do we think about the specific groups that then need to, we need to pay special attention to in all of this. So I think that that's one of the things we need the leadership group with. We need this conversation that we've been talking about for the last hour or so to then yeah. say, here's the things that are really urgent we need to get done. Well, I hope that uh, uh, our conversation has helped uh, with that dialogue. Uh, we've only got a couple of seconds left. I wonder if there's any key messages, key points that you would want to put to uh, listeners before we sign off. I, I just want to say thank you all very much for everything that you're doing every single day. I know it can't be easy because I know that you've got your own families to worry about and that you'll have your own parents to look after or whoever. Um, so I know that you're balancing all of that as well as looking after your communities whatever communities they are. So thank you. Thanks a lot for everything you do. It's really appreciated. I know it's appreciated by the people you help, but it's appreciated by me and by the Scottish Government as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Iona. And uh, let's hope that we can keep this conversation going. Bye for now. Will do. Cheers, Ronnie. Good Bye. to talk. Bye.